Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life Podcast. The Mosaic Life Podcast is a podcast on happiness, and it aims to explore why so many of us chase it, and yet so few of us ever truly find it. My name is Trey Kaufman. If you've found value in this podcast, or if you find value in this particular conversation, you can show your support for the podcast by voting for the Mosaic Life Podcast and the Columbus Podcast Awards. And this is the last week to vote, and voting ends on my birthday this Saturday, August 7th. To vote, visit bit.ly forward slash vote mosaic or visit the mosaic life podcast.com where you'll be greeted with a banner to vote, which you can click and it will take you right to the voting page. If you want to wish me a happy birthday, your vote is the best way to do it. My favorite part of hosting this podcast and experiencing these conversations is that they challenge my preconceived notions every single time. Through that, they allow me to challenge the conventional wisdom that leads to limiting beliefs in my own life. I was asked recently what happens if I don't agree with a guest. And I was at a loss of words for a bit as I tried to pull together some semblance of an insightful answer. But I think the best answer I could have given would simply have been good. I'll preface this by saying my guest today is stunningly thoughtful and there weren't any disagreements in this conversation. But even through our thoughtful discussion, Michael helped me to challenge my way of thinking. These conversations wouldn't be of any value to you or me if it was an hour of us agreeing about everything and patting each other on the back. If no breakthroughs are being made, no matter how small, I would feel I've failed as a host. And so my guest today, Michael Goddard, his words, both written and spoken, have allowed me to unlock both questions and answers in my life. And for that, I thank him. Michael is the author, most recently, of In Search of Lost Lives, a winner of the American Book Fest Best Book Award, the Living Now Book Award, the Body, Mind, Spirit Book Award, and the National Indie Excellence Award. His new transformative book, A New Now, Your Guide to Mastering Wisdom Daily, Achieving Equilibrium, and Empowering Your Nobler Self, gives readers an invaluable guide to awakening and empowering their higher consciousness so that they can readily navigate their life successfully, happily, easily. When readers embark on this journey, they will experience a treasure trove of practical wisdom that will guide them step-by-step to their new now. What a wonderful conversation this was, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Please welcome my guest, Michael Goddard. Michael, how are you? I'm I'm good. It's it seems like um, almost inter- every interview has some kind of glitch. <laughs> like the last one I did was a two hour one without yeah. any breaks, and I entered the the green room and she never found me and she started the show without me. <laughs> so I I called uh. her up. <laughs> Luckily, she you know I I still was connected. Yeah. So. You know, I uh, I have a I had a um, 
I had a small background in radio before this, and I will tell you what: being in person and sitting around the same table, it can be it can be so much easier than trying to coordinate uh, digital schedules across time zones and all sorts of platforms. I'll tell you what. Yeah, well, well, I understand. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever been on. It's a little familiar, but this may be my second time. I actually don't remember. It's mainly Zoom and then other platforms. Yeah. So, but <laughs> cool. anyway, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm pretty calm. I've been meditating and good. Just to remind you, you know, uh, hopefully I'll remember what I'm supposed to remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm basically a writer, you know, no. so I have no idea what I've written in my book. <laughs> you know. It- it's it's funny you say that. Uh, I uh, this will probably be episode one hundred five, I think, and I I, I I can't tell you what the content of episode fifty three was, let alone episode one hundred three. It's it's just kind of all blurs together. But it's they're they're great conversations as the content that you create in in written form is absolutely fantastic, and so you're adding value to people's lives, and that's all that really matters. Right, and I just really you know, like to kind of let go. And it's, it's, you know, it's actually easier not doing video. Yeah, because I can kind of go into a different space. <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. I, um, I was actually just having this conversation uh, this early this afternoon. Um, I, I was I was actually having I was talking about why I don't do video. And it's just, I get so this sounds so conceited, but I get caught looking at myself to make sure that I'm not making a stupid face or that I look okay. And I'm just I'm not interested in that. I just want to have a great conversation with great human beings. And I, the the I think video kind of can detract from that. At least that's in my opinion. Well, it divides your attention. Uh, yeah. Because I'm kind of looking at the person, uh, trying to make sure I'm close enough to whatever. Right. Uh, and sometimes I like to refer to different files I have open. Yes. You know, and just go into a different headspace and even talk with my eyes closed so absolutely i love that and i am um, i'm glad that you brought up uh, meditation right off the bat i am um, I, I may have expressed this to you previously if i didn't i'm I'm the worst consistent meditator in the world. I, I love doing it. It adds so much value to my life. But for whatever silly reason, I, I can't convince myself daily to sit down for 20 minutes. And it's it's infuriating. But at the same time, it's just it's kind of it's a bad joke for me because I I know that this just it's just it adds tremendous value. But I I, I, I don't do yes. it. Well, well, I'd be really happy to go into that with you because Please. I'm sure uh, many of your listeners uh, sure the same issue. Yeah, absolutely. No, please, please dig in and, and let me know what your experiences with it. Yeah. And if I tend to keep going on too long, feel free to interrupt. Uh, no problem. So good. Yeah. So how long, how long, I guess, have you consistently been meditating or what's, what's your journey been like uh, kind of in your evolution of the practice? Well, I, I don't remember exactly, uh, unlike when I first heard the word vegetarian. Right. But I, I knew pretty much from when I was a freshman or sophomore yeah. that meditation would be um, a major part of my life. And um, and I was looking for a particular path. I didn't know what it was exactly. But I, I was having a junior year abroad, and uh, I just wanted something to tide me over. So yeah. I got initiated into a meditation when I was 19. And I did that uh, throughout my year abroad. Um, oh, and by the way, are we being recorded? Yep, we are. We are good. We're rolling. Yep. So, yeah, just uh, oh, please, sorry, please. Just no, you're, want... you're fine. Okay. So, um, 
So I did this meditation. We we're only supposed to meditate twice a day. I often found myself meditating five times a day. Wow. Uh, I was pretty blissed out by it. But uh, and I had a picture of the teacher. I, I had one on the wall uh, before I left for England and in Berkeley, a cow. Yeah. But I, I knew he wasn't the right teacher for me. So I was supposed to spend the summer. Uh, it was my big dream to go to Mykonos and finish the novel. Yeah. I had started right after I landed in England. But I just felt this ineluctable pull back to the States. And I was going to stay in New York. And now I, I felt uh, pulled back to the Bay Area where uh, you know, my family was. Yeah. And I quickly rented a, a great place uh, in Berkeley. And um, just after I rented it, a friend I'd been searching with in high school came. We've been searching very consciously together. We knew that we were looking for a path that uh, would include meditation as a prime element yeah. and uh, being a vegetarian uh, and to achieve a consciousness of higher and higher bliss. So basically, as soon as he walked in the room, I knew what he had found was for me. That's and um, I, I bought a book, you know, the main book on the on this path. And once I finished the preface, I, I knew I found what I've been looking for literally since I had turned 11. So, um, you know, it's all about priorities, which I talk a lot about in my newly released book, A New Now. And it's very simple. And, and this doesn't have to be true for everyone. Yeah. You know, I empower people to really find what's true for them, what resonates strongest. But for me, uh, meditation is my first priority. So it's always the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning after, you know, I wash my face and drink water and uh, take the dog out to pee. Uh, so I go and meditate and I have a certain amount of time I plan to meditate. And if I can't quite make it, you know, like if I have an early interview, then right. I make it up during the day uh, and I'll even do extra meditation before bed. But, That's... you know, it's the key is to find the right meditation for you. But yeah. it's a question of how you prioritize it and where you put it in your day. For some people, I mean, I had friends who were very devoted meditators, uh, but, you know, they got up, they had coffee, they talked, they had breakfast. They meditated usually starting at night at night and went on into the night. It's yeah. just a question of discovering your own rhythms and what works best. Absolutely. And I'd like to follow up on that because as you're saying that, I'm thinking, okay, I, I, I'm starting to realize maybe why I hold myself back. I, I, I'm in a two bedroom apartment and one of the bedrooms is an office and that's, that's where I, I'm, I'm working, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day. And when I generally meditate, I will sit in my office chair, uh, legs crossed, arms on the armrest and just close my eyes. And I have got uh, a silent meditation track that I kind of put in my earbuds, but I'm realizing that as I'm sitting down in my office chair my computer is right here and more often than not i'm glancing to see if i have any new emails or notifications oh. prior to actually sitting down and meditating and i'm sure that detracts or distracts me from actually committing to the practice so i'm, I'm curious how important your space is for oh, you to actually it's, doing that. it's really important and and many people um really just have one room to live in yeah, uh, and they meditate. Uh, so I would love to address that. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, it's best not to meditate in bed. 
having okay. said that, one of the first friends I made on this path, that's all he did. Uh, and like when I was in the hospital uh, a number of times, that was my only option. Yeah. But even um, when I had a two-bedroom uh, apartment, when I went back to graduate school for my MFA in creative writing, uh, it, it was a two-bedroom apartment in Bowling Green, Ohio. I yes. Know you, you're not far. You were not far from me. <laughs> no. And uh, I had what was called a bionic chair. It was sort of a rocking chair without legs that sat on the floor. Yeah. So I would venture to say that the last place you want to try to meditate is in your office chair because yeah. of the associations. Right. You associate being in the chair with working, plus uh, you're there 10 to 12 hours a day. Yeah. Now, I didn't, it worked for me um, because of where I had the chair positioned. I didn't really even see my office chair. Uh, I faced the back of my computer. Right. But if you could put a, a separate chair in the bedroom or better yet in the living room, it's really important to create a space that's mainly dedicated to meditation. Yeah. Um, so I would examine your life and really encourage you to find a different setup because, gosh, if I had to meditate in my office chair, well, I'd be getting up every 10 minutes because right. that's what I do. And I'd, I'd be, be thinking the dog would want to get out and come back in. <laughs> I'd, I'd have too many interruptions. Yeah, no, absolutely. That uh, I don't know why it took me so long to realize that. But as you were talking about it, it just it clicked. So I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, after this call, I will. Uh, I will, I've got another chair in the living room. I'm going to give it a shot and I will report back to you and let you know how it went. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And yeah. one, one other important thing, because a lot of people think uh, or were told actually they need to meditate <clears throat> in a certain yoga posture or right. at least with their legs crossed. You know, we, we were not brought up to, to squat on our haunches or to sit cross-legged for hours. Right. The main thing <clears throat> is to lose awareness of your body because yes. you're trying to concentrate. So you want to be comfortable, uh, whatever yeah. that is, you know, give yourself enough back support. I, if you want to know how, where I meditate, I'll yeah. tell you. Yes, uh, please. I'm not embarrassed, uh, but I meditate on a lazy boy. Uh, <laughs> the name is sort of counterintuitive, right. uh, but it's good to relax uh, and let go of your mind. But I did a lot of intense shopping. This is my second lazy boy. And I, I can meditate for a long time without moving at all. That's fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah, I um, I generally do feel comfortable cross-legged, but after well, fifteen to twenty minutes, I, my legs do, or I get even my butt starts to fall asleep. So I, I think if I were to go into an extended meditation, I would probably want to rethink my positioning. Yeah, and you can always put pillows between your legs and yeah. have enough butt support. Um, yeah, it's really a question of uh, being committed to discovering what works best. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I did want to ask, how, how long were you in Bowling Green? How long uh, were you in Ohio? Well, I was, uh, it's funny because I used to work in the uh, International Operations Office of the Internal Revenue. Okay. I was part of a select group of auditors who got to meet Americans and make sure they were paying their fair share yeah. uh, while I lived and worked in many glamour capitals. So I used to saying that was because every time I would fly from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., yeah. it would occur to me at some point you're going to live in Ohio. 
So <laughs> I applied to a number of writing programs and I didn't really want to go to Bowling Green, but it turned out the director was also from Marin County, yeah. uh, just north of San Francisco where I grew up. And we had such a great rapport. I, I moved there. So I was there for two years uh, working on a couple novels. Oh, and I great. really liked it. I mean, it was so rejuvenating and revigorating uh, because I always assumed as a matter of course, I would get a doctorate and be teaching in a place yeah. like hell. But my whole life changed when I came back from England. I came on the spiritual path yeah. and my priorities changed. And then I, I got this job with the Internal Revenue, which was kind of a lifesaver. So, um, yeah, I was there for two years. I It was so wonderful to ride my bike to, yeah. to campus, to be with all these young kids, uh, many of whom were quite spo spoiled and just wanted to show up and right. get an easy B. Right. But uh, I did find that teaching composition was not a good path for me if I wanted to continue <laughs> to write. I was reading too much poor writing. But uh, I, I really loved all the professors who became uh, friends right. of mine. And we had a very famous writer I took care of while we were there, uh, the last living expatriate, uh, Kay Boyle, who held around with Hemingway and Gertrude wow. Stein. So it was just like living history for me. That's amazing. That's that's absolutely incredible. I um, my my mom got her undergrad at uh, Bowling Green, and I'm fairly certain my dad spent a little bit of time in graduate school there. And it, so I, I I went there a handful of times as a kid. I can't tell you a whole lot that I remember about the campus, but I have to. I, so I went to Kent State, so you know uh, a little bit uh, I guess south of Bowling Green, and I imagine yeah. the, the campuses were fairly similar. Yeah. Well, one thing for sure, it was perfectly flat. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and that's part of it. As soon as I got there, I got an, inspired to write a novel about Bowling Green. That's uh, great. And uh, it's a really, it was really ahead of its time. It was uh, kind of an eco climate change novel. I, I yeah. wrote there. But anyway, I'm uh, happy to answer anything that comes up for you. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I want to uh, talk about something you you uh, wrote in your book. It's at the beginning of the book, A, a, new, new, a new Now, and mm -hmm. it ties into our conversation about meditation. You, 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 you beg the question of the reader, have you ever felt or thought that you have everything this moment that you need? And I don't know why that, that question or that sentence really stuck with me. I think there have been a handful, like literally less than five times in the last four or five years where I've just kind of, for whatever reason, had this minor epiphany that right now in this moment, I am so content and so happy that there is nothing else that I need to pull in from external sources to make me feel any better. And I just, I feel so good. I need nothing else in this moment. They're fleeting. Those are fleeting moments, but I can, I can think specifically about those moments and relive them. And it's just, it's so profound. And I have to imagine a lot of what you thought or brought into this book kind of play into that, that feeling of, I'm going to use this word wrong, but it, to me, if it's a feeling of enlightenment and, um, I, 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 I don't know, I, if you can expound upon where that question came from, that would be great. Yeah, uh, of course, I don't quite remember it in the, in the sure. book, as I said. But, uh, I mean, en enlightenment is an ongoing journey. Right. And um, 
I, you know, most people are, are really malcontents. They're, they're always hankering for more of this or more of that, yeah. and they get what they want, and they're not satisfied. So this speaks very much to the content of the book. Yeah. And um, I have been going through the most content period of my life, literally the last several years, even during COVID when my life changed radically. Yeah. All but one of my local friends fell away. Um, and I had just finished a new now, just as COVID hit. But uh, I was basically a hermit. I mean, I, I'd go a week without talking to anyone. Yeah. I would try to schedule one quality phone call a week at least. <laughs> and, you know, other than the few medical appointments I had, actually, I canceled most of them for yeah. months. Uh, I didn't talk to anybody, but I was so content. And what 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 it contributed to that was you know, living my priorities, living the best life, knowing that I was living the best life that I could live, yes. and knowing myself. So, so much of what philosophers have addressed throughout time, you know, from Socrates, the other ancient Greek philosophers, Epictetus, who yeah. a lot of people are yep. happy with, Emerson, Montaigne, you know, who's a famous essayist, they're asking how to live. Uh, and and I take it one step further. It's like, how can how can I live my best life possible? Right. Now, this is not living uh, the life of necessarily of a social media savant right. or a rock star or someone you look into. It's discovering who you are to, to know thyself and really elevating yourself so that your your consciousness is always being raised you're making the best decisions your priorities are all aligned basically every aspect every facet of your life is aligned and that brings contentment and along with that uh, a very key concept to hold and i'm sure you and many of your listeners are familiar with this very famous quote that is attributed to Teilhard de Chardin, and that is, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings yes. having a human experience. So, you know, the, one of the questions I do ask, and I ask really key questions throughout the book, and a lot of them are really practical, and most of them are very profound, but uh, you know, one of the questions is, how can I make best use of my life? Yeah. Well, the first step, Trey, is to appreciate that you've been given the most precious gift imaginable. It's better than if you've been given $1.3 trillion yes. is yes. your human life. Because once you lose it, you don't know if you're going to get another one, right. uh, actually. So it's really to value your life and and you know one of the things um one of the keys to achieving equilibrium i write about is eliminate unnecessaries for many of us our lives are filled uh with unnecessaries i mean exhibit a and b is just spending useless time on your phone and yeah. the internet or you know or which can be the same thing yeah um what we all want, I mean, the, the kernel of what we really want is, is love uh, in a consciousness of bliss. And we have an opportunity to evolve further. Yeah. So in my last book, my spiritual memoir, In Search of Lost Lives, um, I recovered actually 88 
past lives, which really tell the story of how I was being spiritualized across thousands of lives, life by life, by just little things, little growths of, of spiritualization, yeah. so to speak, like uh, being added to in, in my consciousness. Now, you know, it's not like we're living in, in some backwater uh, without electricity, living in a hut that can go right. in any big storm. We have all these facilities, all these sources, which, you know, the flip side of that is if you're a seeker uh, after truth, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. And this is also where a new now can help people because it's very much about helping you recognize and hone and develop your intuition, your higher sense of knowing. Because frankly, uh, if I hadn't been so clear about what I was looking for, and a lot of that is because I had done the work before right. this life, quite honestly. I mean, that's why I started searching at a young age. But if you're just starting out to meditate or you're meditating, you're not really content with it, it can be completely confusing about where to go. So this is where, you know, listening to your higher self, your, your higher mind, that's where that comes in. And this is very much what the book uh, addresses throughout in a very easy and accessible way. Yeah, I... Um... I like everything you said there. I took a few notes and I, I kind of want to go back to the sure. beginning of that. Um, when you talk about understanding what contentment is to us and you, you mentioned specifically, um, uh, we don't need, we don't need to be a rock star or something along those lines. And it's, it's funny you use that particular example because a year or two ago, I started to think to myself, you know, what does a rock star do on a Tuesday afternoon? I mean, they have, well, they may not have similar lives as us, but it's not, you know, when you, when you see them on a Friday evening on a stage in front of 10,000 people, that's a little bit different than what it is, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock. It's just, we have to understand that there are these lives that people or these portrayals that people are making of themselves to, I guess, breed a little bit of envy, a little bit of, Hey, you want this life when, and I think that, puts our contentment and our happiness just a little bit further out of reach because we can't attain those things. Right. It, it, we, we make ourselves feel inadequate. Yes. I mean, I could easily do this. I mean, like, why haven't I sold 20,000 copies of right. a particular book already? You know, looking to other people, your journey is your own individual journey. And that rock star on a Tuesday afternoon <clears throat> Maybe practicing or right. or in creating a new song, or they may be having a horrible, horrible fight with their significant other, right. and their emotions can be shredded. You don't know what life they have, and of course, we discover so many things about famous people's lives. I mean, yeah. there's a new documentary on Anthony Bourdain, yeah. Uh, yeah. who was so famous, and he shocked everybody by committing suicide. We don't really know. I mean, some people may have a, an idea, those who were close to him, about what demons he was wrestling with. Yes. So it's really, I mean, you can learn from other people, but basically you, you need to teach yourself. And I wrote a new now, so it's a, it's an experience, it's a participatory, self-participatory experiential book. It's basically teaching yourself how to work with your mind how to work with your consciousness to raise it and to gain a true appreciation and understanding of your soul, which is very different from the mind. I, I do feel there's like a lot of 
not understanding out there about what the soul really is uh, as opposed to the mind. Uh, and they're really two different entities. Yeah, and that's that's interesting to me, and I, I've had uh, a few base level conversations about that. But I, if if you, for the sake of, I guess myself and the listeners, uh, yeah, if you can distinguish between the two as you understand it, that would be helpful. Yeah, I'd be, be very happy to, Dre. Well, your your soul is really what gives you life. Uh, your soul is the true you. It's the spark of the divine. It's this pulsating bit of energy that is pure love and consciousness and to exist in the physical plane first of all it had to go through the upper mental regions which uh, all of us can have access to uh, through meditation and our concentration but when it came down from this divine ocean of love and bliss it had to take on coverings to exist in these realms of lower vibrations. So it it took on, uh, in the causal region, it took on a causal mind. In the astral region, let's say it took on an astral mind. And then when it came out of the womb, it took on a physical body. So you're really kind of these three entities that uh, really are, are, can be at war with each other because each is not kind of existing in their natural state. I mean, when you die, whether you're cremated or buried, you're going to become different uh, materials. You're going to, you know, go up and smoke. Right. Uh, all those elements will return to the original source. So when you leave the body, you're still with the mind. And that's really our whole predicament. Uh, a lot of people don't believe in reincarnation. It's very easy to understand why, because they may not remember their past lives. Sure. They uh, may not have experienced that. And I'm all for people, you know, hewing to the truth of what they experience. But most people, you know, have had probably thousands of human lives, unless they're just starting out. Uh, I mean, there can be people here who are taking their first life here and they're from a heavenly region and they're very evolved. But the thing is, a basic law of creation or existence, whatever you want to call it, is the law of action and reaction. So if you create any pain, if you hurt someone's feelings, that's going to cause a reaction. Now, you may think the reaction you'll witness while you're there or two weeks later if you get a nasty call or email. But no, it creates a, a debt that has to be paid somehow. Yeah. So our our whole destiny is basically formed from all these good and bad debts we've created. I mean, if, if you go to a foreign country and work among the poor, helping them have clean water, drink, you know, helping build schools, that is creating good karma for which you'll be rewarded. Yeah. But the real challenge here is that virtually no one, unless you're a fully realized master, can see their karma. You don't know what you're going to go through. Now, you can have intimations. I mean, I happen to know from an early age I would be living most of my life on a spiritual path, yeah. but I had really done the work before. I mean, I mean, why do some musical geniuses start Composing at the age of five, they come in prepared to do that. They've done the prior work, and that consciousness, 
they have enough of that consciousness to know, even though they may have no idea what reincarnation is, they have that ability, that talent, and they, you know, they may be in a completely non-musical family, but they persuade their father or whatever to get them a musical instrument or have lessons at a very, very young age when you think they'd be playing football or, or something. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I want to, in, in, in regard to reincarnation, I want to actually have this pinned up in my office and I just had to step up for a second to grab it, but uh, it's a, a Voltaire quote. It is no more surprising to be born twice than it is to be born once. And I, I think that's a very profound quote because, I mean, it, the, the truth of it, I mean, it's, 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 it's true. I mean, the, the, like you said, the, the odds of us being born the way we are right now, it's, it's very, it's very astronomical. And it, the, uh, the, the, I guess we call luck, we can call whatever we'd like, but, uh, we are so fortunate to be in this very moment. And if I know on, in Western culture, so much of it is based on Christianity, heaven, hell, and all that, which is, you know, fantastic. If that's what your belief is, but I have started to, I guess, relate more and more to Buddhism and the and Buddhist beliefs over the last uh, three or four years uh, as I've kind of read more about religion and obviously reincarnation uh, being a, a, a part of, of that, um, I guess, philosophy. And uh, so I, I don't know what I believe, but uh, it's, it's, it's been, it's opened my mind and my eyes uh, a little bit more understanding why that, uh, how, I guess the, the, the trying to escape that cyclical, uh, existence of suffering and, and, and through that doing well by others and, you know, increasing your, as you mentioned that the, I guess the, the karmic output, if you said that, if I said that correctly, but it was, it's been super interesting reading about that. Oh yeah, I can imagine. And I, I really applaud you for exploring that, but, we we have Himalayan mountains of, of karma to pay right. off, and and you know probably enough karma to keep on coming back in one form or another yeah. For, yeah. for eternity. So the question is, and I really present four alternatives of what to do with the rest of your life in one of the wisdoms. It's the wisdom of grooming, which is one of the uh, eleven wisdoms I write about in the new now. And I really kind of give four different approaches uh, for people to choose how they want to live the rest of their existence, whether it's for 25 more years or 25 days. I right. mean, and, you know, the thing is, I mean, do you, I mean, there are people who do want to keep coming back and coming back and doing good things. Right. But also there are people who are just plum tired of, of suffering yeah. and they want yeah. to leave really leave and yeah. eradicate their karma and of course there are also people who just want to go from one desire to the next i mean one of my favorite friends is really his whole life is about experiencing different things and he goes on all these exotic trips and has all these experiences and that's true for him and i applaud him uh, and he's a very conscious person. That really is not me. Uh, I mean, I've traveled enormously this life. I've been to over 50 countries. I've yeah. been to India 13 times. and But it, most of it, it was either for work or in pursuit of spirituality. It wasn't right. for like right. sen sensual pleasure. So, 
I, what I really want to empower people to do is to take responsibility for their life and really be honest with themselves what you want to achieve. If it's just sort of zoning out, uh, you know, many of us have had really, really rough childhoods right. uh, of abuse in many ways. I, I was actually abused in different ways by all the members of my family. Now, my brother, for instance, who was my total physical abuser, he he totally shut down. He was yeah. somebody you, nobody, none of the social workers could get him to cut his nails. I mean he couldn't do anything he was so shut down right but that was his that was his life you know uh he, he was a paranoid schizophrenic so you you have to work with what you have and if you're somebody who's a seeker that is sort of what i would call trey really the highest calling because you're seeking for something you may not be able to define it but right. basically you're seeking after truth truth for how you can live your best life, your best existence. Yeah, I, um, I relate to that. And I, I like hearing you say that. I, perhaps a, um, here's another uh, kind of excerpt that I'd highlighted in your book, and it kind of exemplifies what we've been talking about the last five or 10 minutes. Uh, <clears throat> and I, there's, there's a little bit of context before this, but I, I just want to give this this little chunk. If it feels good, might be uh, to suggest doing something your parent likes uh, that will stimulate their happy attention. And the, the point I bring that up, because like I said, it's lacking a little bit of context without the whole paragraph, is that <clears throat> recently I've gotten myself in, I guess I've, I've been cognizant of how I say or conversate with people. And, and, and I, I do that in the regard that if I have something to tell somebody, I want to do it in a way that is going to bring, well, obviously not bring them pain or suffering, but do it in a way that breeds happiness, joy, or contentment. And so I've found myself considering how my words, how my actions will ultimately affect somebody else's well-being. Now, I've had this conversation before, and you know, a lot of times my, the person to whom I'm speaking will say, well, that's not your responsibility. Maybe that's a fair point, but I, if I can, if I can shape, if I can help do my part to instill happiness or well-being or contentment in somebody else just by my words, then why would I not do so? It feels like a responsibility to, for me, and I, to me, that kind of ties into your message of you know wanting to to help. I guess ties into the overall message of helping others reach equilibrium, helping others uh, relieve their suffering, and it's just it, it's felt it's been a good practice for me. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm very impressed uh, by that, and I encourage you to do it. I mean, it doesn't really feel that you're taking responsibility for their feelings, but you're contributing to them. I mean, the the very kind of worst thing we can do is kill somebody. Yeah. But but um, but aside from that, um, you know, if you if you cut somebody. Uh, even intentionally, let's say with a knife, right. uh, in time that will heal. But if you really cut into them with mean, nasty words, they can remember that for the rest of their lives. So yeah. really, yes. one, of the, one of the most cardinal, important spiritual precepts is never hurt the feelings of, of anyone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was uh, the great Buddha who said, before you speak, first ask, uh, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Yeah. So um, it's very good and very, 
uh, important to be aware of uh, the effect of your words on other people. And, you know, sometimes you really have to search for how to present things neutrally. Yeah. And you, you also have to stick up for yourself. But the other thing to remember and not make yourself feel bad about is that we're playing many roles. Right. And uh, particularly the roles are challenging in a family situation because family members can be so completely different and have different expectations. And sometimes the best service is is to be just a loving daughter or nephew yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the other person doesn't really get it or they're just limited in how they can relate. I mean, I've had friends who are very frustrated because they kind of can't sit down with the parent and have a heart-to-heart -heart talk. Well, that parent doesn't have the capacity to do that. You have to allow them to be who they are. Yeah. Um, so I, I applaud you for, for having that consciousness to be aware of, of the content and style of your communication. Well, it's been it's been interesting because I, I myself have been on this personal journey for four or five years, and I know what I've accomplished. And I, there's another uh, there's another quote in your book that I'm not going to try to find right now. But you talk about the we we can't change people, which is it's a it's a hard lesson that I had to kind of discover for myself because I, I, I realize that I can do better in this life. And then if I can do better, that means other people can do better. So, hey, listen, this is what I did. Do better. And people don't want to hear that. And so, you, like you said, you have to let people be themselves and hopefully you can lead by example and, and other people can see that change that you're instilling in yourself and they can, they can at least take a part of it. Yes, yes, that's a very important point because uh, there are people, uh, uh, you may be living with somebody uh, who hates the idea that you're meditating, that you're right. not paying attention to them. Uh, you can live with somebody who's nitpicking all the time, who's complaining. And rather than making them wrong and speaking against them, the best thing you can do is be loving yeah. and model good behavior in a humble way, not yeah. like parading it around like, you know, I'm being a, a better person. But really, you know, humility is something you really don't recognize, but we can endeavor to be humble uh, and we can definitely endeavor to be kind and yeah. loving. Uh, and they'll ultimately, that that will change them more but rather than telling them where they're wrong, where they're coming up short. And it'll be a lot less uh, trauma in your life. Yeah. I mean, confrontations rarely uh, solve anything, uh, particularly if, you, if it's in the heat of the moment. Right. Um, right. No, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I couldn't not agree more. Um, I, I would like to talk more about lower and higher minds and um, distinguishing between the two. And I, I, I it's, again, something that I, I've had conversations about briefly, but I, I don't have a, a, a good way of articulating it and so to me lower mind is is kind of your, your monkey mind it is it's the it's the monkey on your shoulder trying to get you to think about a million different things it's, it is not necessarily serving us whereas our higher mind uh, is, is essentially our path to enlightenment i mean please please correct me where i'm wrong and, and divulge some more information between the two right well i i do go into this quite a bit in a new now and and your higher mind is i like to think of as, as really the ally of your of your soul yeah it's the part of you that likes to be kind generous giving 
that is interested in spiritual development. Your lower mind is basically a slave of your senses. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're eating a gallon of ice cream and you have a little nudge of intuition, maybe I should stop now, but you say, oh, no, I've had such a hard day. Such and such a person's been such a, a prick or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I deserve this. That's, you know, your, your lower mind succumbing to your senses. So the lower mind, I mean, I had a friend, uh, we related on so many levels. She was very spiritually advanced, except she was the worst gossip and backbiter I've ever known. Yeah. And I tried so many different strategies to get her to stop because she would talk about people. I had no idea who they were. I didn't yeah. want to hear about them. But where she talked about mutual friends, she couldn't stop. And now I do feel her higher mind was predominant, but she sure gave into her lower mind yeah. when she could talk to me because I tend to be a very agreeable, easy to talk to person. And, you know, other people might have walked away. Uh, we were talking on the phone. So it's really important to gain an awareness of your lower mind uh, and, and how it controls you. Now, one thing I found uh, in writing my book, uh, In Search of Lost Lives, is that for most of my lives on Earth, my lower mind is what I would call my predominant mind. Yeah. Uh, and really, 12 lives back when I was a Tibetan was when my higher mind became predominant. So it really wasn't that long ago. Um, I actually had a very high up job in the government. It was like I was the um, head of uh, diplomacy. I, I give it a better term in my book. But I came across two uh, Buddhist monks there, and one in particular really changed my outlook on life and humanity because this monk in particular I knew was highly evolved. Yeah. Um, so that was the life. And two lives before that, I would they were in balance. But all the time before that, my lower mind is predominant. Uh, and often the, the hurtful actions I committed outweighed the good actions. And I didn't come back as a human being. This right. is all documented in my memoir. I came back as an animal. Uh, so it's really, uh, I encourage people to develop an awareness of so many people just think they are their minds, they are their thoughts. That's not true. Right. You're, you come from a div divine source. You have a divine birthright. Yeah. So I, I, I personally am curious, uh, when it comes to discovering your past lives, how, how is that something that you have done? And I mean, if somebody is interested in exploring that practice and, and kind of getting an understanding of I, I, for lack of a, a much better way of putting it, where, where, they've, where they've been in their past lives. Well, I, I did it in a very unusual, um, almost unique way is, um, you know, I've been meditating for so many decades, but also actively developing my intuition and sense of knowing that I basically kind of accessed I mean, the information, a lot of the information in the knowing and the reliving of the past lives came through automatically. Yeah. Uh, but I also have like this whole intuitive process where I, I can test things and know if they're true or what I can't know. So it was really a development uh, that took place throughout my entire life. But I also worked on it between lives before this life. Yeah. Now, so, uh, 
quite a few of my hosts actually I've discovered, uh, even though I had no idea, you know, they're, they're into recovery or feng shui, but they've, they've had uh, hypnotic regression. And I've read a few books on that. And I can't really speak to hypnotic uh, regression. I don't know if the lives they find out are true or not. Right. You know, I twice I've tried to be hypnotized for different reasons. They're kind of very practical day-to-day reasons. Yeah. And the hypnotist gave up. They couldn't hypnotize me. Uh, I guess I had too strong a willpower. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think if people read In Search of Lost Lives, they'll get a, it, it may trigger memories. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my uh, lives initially came through by all these automatic triggers, uh, hearing uh, a soundtrack, reading something, yeah. seeing something. Definitely deja vu, which I wondered about. Uh, and it's defined in the dictionary as the experience of thinking you've been somewhere before. Right. It's actually experiencing the experience that you were there before. And I write about some of my uh, um, deja vu in the book and how accurate and true it proved to be. So going through In Search of Us, I've that may trigger your own memories, your own recall. But really, even more important than accessing your past lives is developing your awareness to the state where you know what is, you know, always the next best thing to do right. and, and what you want to achieve for this life. Because we don't know how long we have here. Uh, as we recently found out, right. you know, people you thought you'd, you'd know for 20 more years were, were gone in a few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know you and I, I mean, you mentioned Epictetus and you and I uh, spoke briefly uh, about Stoicism previously, and that's been a big part of my, my, my study over the last few years. And uh, a major component of that is memento mori, knowing that we could leave this earth at any, any moment. And I, I think, like you said, a lot of that was instilled in us over the past uh, 16, 18 months. And I hope, I hope that leaves a lasting impression on us. And I hope we, we continue to pursue uh, our, uh, or make the best use of our lives, to, to use your words. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's important. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're here to learn and grow, really, yeah. or not necessarily. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, someone like my brother, you know, who was a paranoid schizophrenic, he had this debt, you know, comprised from I don't know how many experiences to pay off. Yeah. So he had a very hard, limited life. His life was mainly confined to lying on his bed all day. Yeah. Uh, so that's why we should never, ever judge other people or ourselves. Don't ever guilt yourself. Yeah. Um, and to, to tie that in a little bit, uh, a little bit more going back to our lower minds and your friend who loved gossiping and I, I, to add a few more examples, um, people who have a tendency to complain about everything habitually, or even I've gotten to the point where when somebody says people watching, I cringe because I know the connotation of that. And it's just, mm-hmm. it is it, to me, that is our lower mind in action. It's not something, it is not something that you realize you're doing. Your friend may not have realized that she constantly gossips. It's just, it's part of, uh, I guess what, what she's 
brought up to do or somebody I, I used to complain all of the time. I used to be a horrible complainer until I realized the, the detriment it was having on my own life. And once I became cognizant of it and I was able to change that, that was it was it was a night and day difference for me. Right. Well, these are just really <clears throat> deep mental grooves we yeah. have, which, which which really can be flushed out and clean and made whole really by uh, observing your behavior and, and being more at the cause of it rather than the effect of the negative grooves, but also by meditation. Meditation can help enormously, you know, the right meditation in correcting that. But, you know, we are so such slaves of our mind and we don't, we don't need to be. I mean, once you master your mind, uh, it can become your best friend. Yes. But people are often allow themselves to be sabotaged by their lower minds. And that is unnecessary. I mean, somebody who's addicted to porn, for instance, that could break up a wonderful marriage. Yeah. I mean, or just addicted to their lust. I mean, how many people have been horrified when you know they find that their partner uh, has completely broken their agreement right. and... Uh, and, and that person was really a slave to their lust or their ego or combination thereof. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, we are, all of us uh, are potential gods and who have a glorious destiny. It's, it's time really to seize the moment uh, yeah. and create your new now. Yes, yes, absolutely. And to, to, to quote you one more time before we start to wrap up, uh, talking about cleaning your grooves, uh, you had, you had said clean your vessel also in, uh, clean your vessel also includes having good intentions for yourself and others, and I think that it, that having those intentions is, is extremely powerful. Right, and and what you said earlier about wishing someone happiness. Yeah, I mean, if somebody is really shitty toward you, yeah, uh, and says something. Uh, you can just go by them and say, I wish you happiness, because obviously they're not happy when they're coming out with stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and you don't you don't have to get engaged and show them why they're wrong. Uh, let them discover that for themselves if they ever do. Absolutely. I don't know why that reminds me of a quote that is attributed to Abraham Lincoln. I haven't done a ton of research into it, but I'm assuming he had said it. He says something along the lines of, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better with obviously the intent that perhaps once I get to know him and I can remove my judgment, my, or my first impression of him, perhaps we can at least become acquaintances. It's, it, that has always stuck with me for some reason. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely good and important. I mean, I, when I moved to a new school, uh, I was you know, like basically the fattest and smartest kid in the school. So I was like in a complete target. Yeah. My father had never, father and no one had ever taught me to play any of the sports. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the kids, you know, there was a lot of fist fighting. And one of the kids I just thought was the nastiest and beat me up. But I got to know him and we became really close <laughs> friends. And he was really sorry for picking on me. Yeah. You know, luckily the next year I began to lose all that excess weight because I, I that was a priority and I made it my intention. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, people don't, I mean, I think this is one reason like finally people are paying more attention to how people have suffered uh, and people you may denigrate, you don't really know who they are. And right. once you get to know them, uh, your whole opinion can change. 
absolutely. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Michael, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, prior to wrapping up, I do have a few closing questions I like to ask my guests. My guests, And uh, the first of which is I, I want to make sure that I'm a benefit to the people who take their time to have conversations with me. And so I always like to ask, if you were looking for any number of resources or a specific resource to help continue your personal growth, what would that be? And I asked that question in the example that uh, perhaps somebody's listening across the country. They say, hey, Michael, I can help you with that ask. I can help you grow. So what would that resource be? If I was looking to do what? Could you repeat that? So, yeah, if, if, if you needed one specific resource to help continue in your personal growth, whether or not that's spiritual or that's business, or even if, it's used, if you just need more people to, to buy your book, what, uh, what resource are you looking for to continue your personal growth? Oh, I see. Well, that's <clears throat> very simple and basic. By continuing to meditate daily with my best concentration. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's for me. For somebody else that may be finding the, the right book, that will be life-changing. Yes. Uh, or it could be being of service. It's really learning to know your th- thyself. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, and then, so speaking of life-changing books, uh, if you could name, I know, I imagine you're a big reader, but if you could name one book that has just had a profound impact in your life, what would that book be and why? Yeah, well, that's very simple. It's it's the book I discovered when I was 21 years old, uh, newly arrived back from England, and that's The Path of the Masters by Julian Johnson. It just gives you a complete understanding and overview of our metaphysical world. It goes through the different religions and explains why they don't deliver what you might need. Yeah. Uh, it just lays everything out it's just a complete totally life-changing book uh, and that's what did it for me oh that's that's extremely interesting i i will have to pick that up i've been wanting to read more i guess comparative literature uh with uh with the various religions uh that, that you hear about daily and that sounds like the book for me yeah, it's it, that's just one section though of the book where okay. it has the comparative religions. Basically, what it does is explain the laws of existence. I mean, it gives you an entire metaphysical foundation. That's fantastic. Okay, perfect. I will um, definitely put that in the show notes. And then last but not least, if you could leave the audience with one call to action, either one that you live your life by or one that you instill in others, what would that call to action be? Well, I would say learn to live as your aware self. I love that. The essential question I pose in the book is, how can I live as my aware self? And throughout the book, that is answered. So, uh, you know, I I don't want to tout the book too much, but a new now will help you, will help guide you to that inner mastery. We always want to live as our most aware self. When during COVID, we had all kinds of conflicting information and ideas, and you had to navigate really difficult situations. And all of life is navigation. So to live as your aware self with your best wisdom in a state of equilibrium, that is your call to action to strive for that because you have the potential and the capacity. 
Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And to drive the point home, it's a phenomenal book. Um, I will absolutely have the link to it in the show notes. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you for writing it. Um, if people would like to connect with you or learn more about you, what is the best way for them to do so? Well, <clears throat> thank you, Trey. I would start by going to my website, goddard.com, and I'm spelled G-O-D for God and D-A-R-T for Dart. If you have a trouble, if you can't write it down, uh, remember it by thinking of a love dart from God. So go to goddard.com. Uh, I have excerpts, many interviews. Uh, on the book pages of the four books that are there, uh, I have links directly to Amazon, if that's where you buy your books. Otherwise, you can really buy them anywhere. Uh, and I'm also on Facebook. Uh, the book page is called More Bliss. And then, of course, I have my personal author page on LinkedIn and Facebook as Michael Goddard. Perfect. And I, I, I was, as I was looking, um, as prior to us connecting today, I was, I had a little bit of envy that you got Goddard.com. I, I, I feel like I, I could have had the chance to get trade.com if I would have really hopped on it when I was a kid. And I just, I, I, I didn't. So I'm always envious of people who have their, their, like their single name, first or last name, domain names. So congratulations to you for that. Oh, you're welcome. But you could always <laughs> modify it in a way that serves you. That's true. Uh, that's absolutely true. Um, well, again, Michael, thank you uh, for having this conversation with me. Thank you for writing this phenomenal book. I, I really, I really felt empowered reading it, and it, it's, it's something that um, I've, I've challenged myself over the last couple of years to to question conventional wisdom, at least the wisdom that I was brought up with, and this helped me kind of realize uh, where I want to continue my self-improvement and my self-evolution. And this is, uh, it was a, it was a great book and uh, this was a great conversation. So thank you again for that. Oh, thank, thank you for having me, Trey. It was just a delight and wonderful to, to share this with you. Absolutely. Once again, I would like to extend a huge thank you to Michael for joining me on the podcast, for being so thoughtful in our discussion, and also for creating his book, A New Now. It was a wonderful read, and if you're interested in reading it yourself, please check out the show notes at themosaiclifepodcast.com, where you'll find links to all of Michael's books, as well as the links to contact Michael online. And as always, thank you for taking time out of your busy days to spend with us in conversation. It means the world to me, and it's not something I take for granted. If you would like to show your support for the Mosaic Life podcast, you have a few more days to vote for the Mosaic Life podcast and the Columbus Podcast Awards. You can find that link by visiting themosaiclifepodcast.com or going straight to the website at bit.ly forward slash vote mosaic. Once again, thank you all so incredibly much. And until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.